Welcome to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. This guest is Tori. Tori has had 17-year drug addiction. Um, she's doing amazing now. She's working on a lot of things. Today is actually when she's getting off probation and she'll be able to finally get her certification and be able to help other people in counseling, which is amazing. She's been waiting for this day for a long time, so congratulations, Tori, on that. And her before and after picture is unbelievable. Um, that's what caught my attention. Um, I'll pop it up here as we get into this episode because, you know, she is just doing amazing things and her story is unbelievable and she's doing great now. So I was really happy to get a chance to talk to her and now I can get a chance to tell her, have her tell her story for everybody. All right. Okay. So, yeah, welcome to the show, Tori. I appreciate you taking the time. How much, uh, what, what's your clean day, Tori? clean date yeah it was december of 2019 december 2019 and how long were you in active addiction oh my god six seven 17 years um what made you decide to like finally we'll we'll get into the addiction part i'm just curious what made you to finally decide to get clean after 17 years let's see i've tried like numerous times i've been in like eight treatment facilities um actually what made me get clean is my child i was pregnant with my son and i had just got out of treatment and i had like eight months clean and found out that i was pregnant um i had overdosed and um actually the first time in 16 years that i was actually using the heroin that i had ever overdosed was the last time i used it and I was pregnant with my son. So I think I, um, my husband said I was going for like maybe eight minutes or so. So whenever, you know, I did come to and I went to the hospital um, on my own. Whenever they told me that the baby was fine, that's when I decided, you know, to put it down. Completely done. After I knew that there was still a heartbeat and that he was doing fine, I was just done. That was my breaking point. That's amazing. Was your husband like in it with you or just supportive and just to make sure you were safe? Um, no, my husband, actually, we've been married going on almost 17 years now, and he's an addict just as well. We've pretty much our whole relationship. We have just used together. Mm -hmm. So actually the same night he was using as well, but, um, you know, lucky me, I'm the one that, <laughs> um, got the worst part of it, but thank God he was there because, you know, of course how it goes, everybody else just runs out on you. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, we always... We, we, we like harp on harm reduction, you know, and, you know, using, not using alone and stuff like that. Make sure you have Narcan, make sure you don't use alone, make sure you're with somebody you trust because, you know, people are going to use, you know, out there, people who are out there still using, they're going to still get high. So if they're going to get high, at least give them some Narcan, at least give them some vice, at least give them some water, make sure they're not getting high alone because that's even more dangerous than getting high is getting high alone. Because then if you go out, who's going to save you? You know, like yes, luckily your husband was there, you know? Most definitely. Because, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, being in a trap house, there's probably, I don't know, eight, nine of us there. And a lot of them had federal warrants. So no one was sticking. No, yeah. It was my husband and actually his friend um, that stayed behind. Because honestly, if it wasn't for his friend being there, my husband was freaked out, didn't know what to do. If it actually wasn't for his friend actually actually staying there, then yeah, there's I probably wouldn't be here, nor my nor my child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything happens for a reason. We know that. 
Um, how did you get into, you know, drugs in the first place? 17, like what brought you into it? What did you start with? Um, you know, when I was 15, um, I took a pain pill for the first time, had a real bad toothache and took a pain pill. Um, and then from there, um, you know, my dad has a lot of issues, um, like cirrhosis of the liver, just all kinds of stuff going on. So he had pain medication. So I would sneak in there and take it. And then I started realizing that you could sell it. Um, and it's really crazy because like I was in law enforcement program in school. Mm-hmm. So that's what my career was. I mean, that's what I wanted, but it did not go that way. Um, but yeah, I started taking pain pills and then realizing, you know, that I could sell them and make money. So then, you know, going to school, I started, you know, talking to the crowd that, you know, was doing all the, you know, drugs and then realizing, you know, well, I can sell this and get this. So then it just you know, went from like Vicodin, then it went to the Percocet, and then that's when the Oxys came in. Um, so I definitely started out on pain pills, and my God, that was probably ten years. That when you say, when you say Oxys, I'm always curious because like my drug of choice was the Roxys um, the entire time. I did a decade straight of the Roxy 30s. Um, what what did you mean, Oxycontin or Oxycodone? Uh, Okay, so it went from, like, Vicodin, the Percocet, and then it went to actual Oxycontin. Um, I was, like, taking, oh, my God, probably four or five Oxy-80s a day. Um, And then that's, you know, when the whole Florida, the whole Florida thing came in, and then I was going back and forth um, doing that for, like, five years. Like driving to Florida? Yes, and back. And And where are you from again? I'm from, from Ohio. So you were driving from Ohio to Florida to, go to, Florida. Pain, to go to the pain management places? Uh, at least six times a month. You beat, wow. That, yes. so <laughs> you are the first person that has so far, like, when, in the last three years of my addiction, I would drive to Jersey and back from Lancaster County and PA to pick up. I would go four or five times a week, two hours each way to do those drives, but... I mean, you're talking Ohio to Florida, and I don't even know what part of Florida. I'm ballparking at least a 20-some hour drive each way. Uh, yes, it was 22. Um, Boca Raton. Um, you're not stopping. You're, you're, there's no stopping. Once you're, there's no, like, we need a break. We, we need to go to Florida. <laughs> yeah, it was a straight drive through. Yeah. I mean, other than, you know, fueling up or. You know, whatever. Yeah, it was. Um, we would go to Boca, Orlando, Miami, um, Jacksonville. So, yeah, we would, because after one would get shut down, we'd go to the next. One shut down, we just move on to the next. It was to the point that they, when they, went, you know, when they started trying to shut it down, um, we actually had to go rent a place down there just to have an address. So we went and rented a place, turned the bills on, got an ID. Just so we could continue that. And just coming was, back to Ohio, um, my God, well, back in the day, it was like, you know, $25 for, you know, each one. But then yep. towards the end, it started going up to like 30 and 35 So it was just. You're talking about the 80s, right? The 80s? Oh, I'm talk- no, I'm talking about the, um, the 30s. Rocky 30s. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Because when I, I started with them in like 2008 and they, around us, they were like 20 bucks a pop. And then eventually they got up to over $30 by the time I was done, you know, like in 2018, that was the last time I bought one. And they were like, 
dollar per milligram. I thought you meant the eighties at first because the eighties they got up to eighty bucks a piece around us. Like when the gel ones came out, that's probably when you switched to the thirties, right? When the gel ones came out and then no one wanted them anymore. Um, <laughs> yep, that was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but when those gel ones came out, when you found the coating ones from the oxy cottons, they were like a dollar a milligram. People were paying eighty for eighties, you know, um, around here, around Jersey. Here it was going two dollars a milligram. You were paying one hundred and sixty for eighty milligram. Only for the ones that had the coating on it that you could scratch off and not the gel, yes. right? Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say no, the gel ones gel. were cheap as shit. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> I still bought the gel ones when I couldn't get Roxy's. And I would use them to, like, taper. You know what I mean? Instead of taking a Suboxone, I, I had a connection that had 20 milligram oxys, and they were the gel ones. And I would pick them up for, like, 5 10 bucks a pop and just eat them knowing it was extended release and knowing that I was getting something in my body to hold off until I got more Roxy's. So, like, that's what the gel ones were only good for for me. They were, like, another version of Suboxone for me because <laughs> I wasn't using Suboxone to quit. I was using Suboxone to hold off until the next one, you know? <laughs> yeah, been there, done that, most definitely. And in Florida, um, the one guy from Wolf of Wall Street, in real life, he opened one of those places. Like, in the movie Wolf of Wall Street, you know, with Leonardo DiCaprio and everything, he's all on drugs the entire movie. His partner, who Jonah Hill plays in that movie, in real life, you know, it's a true story, he moved to Florida and he opened one of those places that you were going to. For all you know, you could have even went to one of his places back then, because that's when he was down there running those things. So, no, I, Actually, I have never seen that movie. Oh, really? I know a lot of people. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, probably don't want to watch it now, because there's a lot of triggers in there. Um, now, what was the first time you tried to go to treatment? I mean, you said it had been to eight different ones. Like, oh, um, My first treatment center was in 2011. Um, and I went down to, it was in Athens, Ohio. Um, I completed it. It was, um, well, technically it's supposed to be a three month and I ended up making it a five month, kept getting in trouble and, you know, wasn't trying to actually straighten up. I got forced to go pretty much. Who asked you to go? Um, my probation officer. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> now, so let's, let's, we skimmed over that. Um, that was, was that the first time you got arrested for something that was drug related? Um, yes, my first charge I had, um, it was for forgery and theft. And honestly, like, I know everybody says this, but like, honestly, like I really did not do anything wrong. Pretty much what it amounts to is, um, it was my husband's aunt and I was supposed to, um, go get pills, bring them back to her. And I did. Well, then we went again to get more and got robbed. And because I wasn't paying her back fast enough, like she made up like this whole big ordeal and like made a video like outside of Walmart because she knew that you mean they had security cameras, like had had her daughter actually like put a hoodie on and say it was me um, and said I got in her car and took her checkbook and her um, ATM card. And of course, like she's in there really well with the cops. So I just took it on the chin, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but they were doing in lieu of, you know, so I didn't have to actually worry about it being on my record. But that's back during the Florida time. I wasn't worried about that. It was like my appointment was the same day of court. 
So go to Florida and get my pills or go to court and be sick and have to reschedule. So I pretty much ditched court and went on down to Florida. Did you stay down in Florida for a little bit, knowing that they were going to be waiting for you in Ohio? No, I came right back. Did you? You just said, you know, fuck it. At least I'll be high. Yeah, at least I'll have my shit. (laughs) At least I'll have my shit. Yeah, it took like a week, and they were doing a sweep, and they got me in it. So how how many were you coming back with? Uh, Like, if you were going there like that often, six times, like four to six times, like you were going like once a week, twice, sometimes twice in a week. It sounds like. Yes, and also at that time I was hitting a a Tennessee doctor and a Columbus doctor. Because it wasn't so, until like 2013 to when the pharmacies started talking to each other, to where you couldn't doctor shop anymore. Yeah, when they started doing the ores. Yeah, yeah, I had. We were getting between me and my husband, and then everybody we took, we was getting like 1830s a month. Um, it was like 1830s, um, I think it was like close to like 1515s, and then of course the Xanax bars and the Somas. Holy shit. Yes, that, it was. That is, that is a number. Like, I, you it, know, that. It's insane. That, you know, and I, and I was going to ask, you know, oh, I wonder when she got into heroin. You didn't need to get into heroin right away when you're getting that many. I mean, you know, were you, were you a popper or a sniffer or did you ha- you know, I'm always curious about the rituals. I started out snorting, and then I got to where I was shooting. Shooting the 30s? Yes. Oh, damn. Okay. I know. Yeah, I never. Yeah, I got so addicted to the actual act of sniffing itself that I never did anything else um, for 10 years because I loved, you know, the sensation of sniffing. So I think I got lucky because if I would have, like, explored elsewhere, who knows how my addiction would have run from there. Because, I mean, I was a 20-year drinker and a 10-year user. So, but I never wanted anything else because I loved the taste of, you know, the blues so much that that's all I ever wanted to do was sniff them. So, I think I got lucky that part of my addiction itself was actual sniffing and also the pills, but the ritual. Um, Now, how did you and your husband meet? Was it, like, because you knew each other or was it from drugs, like a drug interaction? Actually, it's whenever I started working, I had just turned 18 and I had got a job where he was at. And at that point, you know, I mean, like I was just like dabbling in the little like there's the little pain pills. Yeah. And like I actually had a boyfriend at the time and he had got me into the oxys. Well, I was trying to like when I got this job, like I was trying to come completely off. Like I didn't want to take nothing no more. I was done. And, you know, the guy that I was with at the time, he just kept doing it and kept doing it. So, um, you know, I was at work one day and because me and him worked at the same place, me and my ex got a job there together. Well, my husband was working there and my husband, he is um, definitely a smooth talker. (laughs) Um, And pretty much like me and him just started talking and he did some (laughs) crazy stuff about work. was I was talking to him and telling him, you know, like, I've been in addiction since I was 15. You know, pretty much I'm done. You know, I don't want to do it no more. But the guy I'm with, he continues to do it. So my husband just, like, pulled a, a quick move and um, busted um, the guy out. Um, that was, you know what I mean? Because I was just that type of person not to cheat. I just, I, I didn't want to yeah. do that. I want to yeah. do a clean break. 
Yeah. Well, I was having a hard time, you know, doing it because I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings. And so pretty much my husband went and did it for me. He came back <laughs> and said, hey, you're that dude you're with buying, you know, pain pills. And I'm like, well, how do you know? He said, well, because I'm the one selling them to him. He says, you want to get away from it and you can't, and I'm going to help you. So that's how that happened. And yeah. okay. I met my husband. <laughs> and <laughs> from right then and there, I'll know, like, we hit it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, I don't know, like, we're really super close. So it's just pretty much, like, whatever one does, the other does. You know what I mean? We, we're very codependent, if you want to call it that. We're very well, codependent. It's not even that. I mean... And there's and nothing even wrong. The, the the thing is, like anything else, codependency is only an issue when it makes your life unmanageable. You know what I mean? If your life is unmanageable because like it was, it might not be now because now you're, you know, you're sober. So you can actually communicate easier and your life isn't revolving around the drugs and the alcohol or whatever. So but in my opinion, you know, in sobriety, at least. Being codependent is just having a partner. You're just having a strong relationship because you're open and honest in it. The only time it would be an issue is if your life's unmanageable. Like, oh, I I can't come to work today because my husband doesn't want me to. He needs me to stay home with him because he's in a bad mood. You know, then that would be a problem because then, you know, your life would be unmanageable because you're missing work when it's not even an emergency. He just is needy. You know, then I would say it's an issue. But, I mean, codependent, I mean, you're just together all the time. Maybe I'm just being, you know, I'm deflecting or being because my wife and I work together, you know, and we're together, you know, 22 hours a day easily, you know, so maybe I'm just like being defensive, (laughs) but I don't, I don't think it's, you can, I think you can be codependent in a healthy way is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And and that's really pretty much how it is. Like in addiction, we were each other's worst downfall. Like, exactly. Yeah. We were each other's downfall like so bad, like it was to a fault. Like you went seventeen years because you kept enabling each other to continue to go seventeen yes. years. Like yes. if you were alone, you probably wouldn't have lasted seventeen years and same with him. But no, when you Yeah, but when you have somebody else that's like supporting you still and, and saying, Hey, I still love you no matter what you know, that gives you a reason to keep going, you know, it gives you hope to keep going that, well, at least he loves me, you know, because a lot of people don't understand, you know, and I'm not trying to be rude, you know, when I say junkie love, you know, but they don't understand, because you know, that's what it originally comes out to, like, in the beginning, it's like, we're going to just going to do this thing together. And then when you're still together in sobriety, that really shows you everything you need to know about the relationship. Because um, he's, I'm, I'm just taking a shot in the dark, but he's sober too. Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. Um, you're the second couple, actually, that I've talked to. Um, in my fourth episode, is this girl, Tara. And her and her husband, they met, you know, really young. They got high together for a really long time, like to the point where they robbed a bank together in Texas and then drove all the way back up to Massachusetts together to go, by, to go school. Like he rescued her from a rehab in Texas and then he robbed the bank and then they drove to go get high. So, I mean, and now, and he did time for that and she did time, but they've been married still years and they're together still to this day. So, you know, and they're like, you know, pushing 40. Well, he's definitely in his 40s because he's 10 years older than her. And, um, you know, they, they have a great relationship. And it's so, I know that it's possible and it that you can like transfer over that love from the, you know, from when you're getting high to when you're sober. A lot of... It doesn't work for everybody, but if you can make it work, that's even better. I'm sure having the kid help too, because, you know, and how old your kid too then, right? 
Yes, two. And we have a 12-year-old, and we got another one on the way. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, like, um, everybody here that knows us, that's what our nickname was, Bonnie and Clyde. If he did something, I'm going to be right beside him. Like, we go to a bar, there's a bar fight. If there's dude, I don't care. I'm jumping in with him. You know what I mean? That's like, that's our, that's what everybody calls us, is Bonnie and Clyde. And everybody's so used to us doing the bad stuff together. But now that they see us sober and doing all the good stuff together, they're like, wow, I cannot even believe, you know what I mean? Like, all the stuff that you've been through, that you're even still together. And then that's like, like, a lot of people here at home, like, they always tell us, like, you give us hope. You know how they say, like, in treatment, like, if you're together and you're using, pretty much you can't be together afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I don't, I do, I, I don't know. I believe that to an extent. But then again, I think it really, like, really comes down to, like, how much do you want it? How much do you want it together? Because we can either bring each other up or we can definitely tear each other down. Yeah. Like, if he would have went to rehab, you know how you've been at plenty of treatment centers. Um, when you're going to rehab because he's saying you need to go there now and I'm fine, but you need to go there. You're going to feel like you don't need to be there. You don't want to be there. That's for sure. But when you both get to the point where like, all right, I just want to be done. And that's the, that's, that's the key word is want. I want to be done. I don't need to be in rehab. I don't need to do this. I don't need you to send me. I want to be done. You know, because when you want to be done is when you really start putting in an honest effort to be done. Did you guys start hitting meetings together or what What did you do to like change your like every day going to get high? And I mean, I'm sure you're saving a ton on gas. <laughs> yeah, well, how it pretty much really how it started was um, see, I've been to, like I said, eight treatment centers. He's only been to two. And really what it amounted to is, like, when we get in trouble, like, he has an extensive history. Um, I think he's racked up a, at least 150 charges the last time we looked. Um, so they would just straight send him to jail and prison. I always got the opportunity, you know, to go to treatment. So I go to treatment, he get out, and he'd still be running and gunning. And, you know what I mean? I'd be getting calls and treatment telling me what he's doing. You know what I mean? So... He really didn't get as many treatment stays as I did. But the last time that, you know, really changed is where we decided to go to treatment together. Because, see, the treatment centers he went to has just been, like, faith-based. So they really didn't get into, you know, the stuff that he really needed to. So the last time we went to treatment, we had just um, got a breaking and entering. And, you know, we were staying in a home with no electric, no water. Um, it was cold because there was no heat. We had no car because it had got, um, you know, took by the cops. We had no money. It also got took by the cops. So we just had absolutely nothing. Where was and your kid at? The 12-year-old? The 12-year-old, my grandmother has custody of him. She oh, has cool. now for like 11 years, she does. Okay, cool. Um, Go on. I was just curious. I didn't want to forget. Go ahead. Um, but so we end up, you know, I mean, we was using, of course, ripping everybody off, you know, doing just whatever we had to do. And then finally, it just come to a point, like, look, like, we can't do this no more. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't even know where we was going to eat. We started from, like, going grocery stores and just, like, steal food right off the counter because we didn't know what we was going to do. So, and then, of course, we were sitting there, you know, detoxing. So, that's when we made the choice, like, if we're going to detox and, like, really do it, like, let's go to a detox center. And so, then we decided to go to the detox center. That's as far as we had planned. So, we went to the detox center. 
But when we got to the detox center, we're like, you know what? Like, let's just go on. Let's go on the treatment. So from there, um, you know, we was telling them, you know, we want to get in the treatment. I think we were like in there five days. And they said, you know, this is the longest you can stay. You know, we don't keep doing past five days. I'm like, okay, well, have you found us a bed anywhere? And they said, no, not yet. Well, then we're not leaving. Until you get me a bed, you know, to go to treatment. Like, I am not walking out of here. Because if I walk out, I already know what's going to happen. And, of course, you know, they said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. But you know, then I just, you know, threw the card up. Like, look, if you take, if you make me leave, I'm going to go out and do something stupid. Like, I already knew. Like, I really don't like to, you know, put, throw it out there. But, like, I told them. You know, like, I will commit suicide. Like, I am too, my, and I have, I have, I have had the previous attempts, um, an attempt, but I was to that point again, I was going to do it again if they would make me leave. Like, at that point, I was just done. You know what I mean? Like, not being able to yeah. eat, shower, like, any of that. Like, I was just done. So, we did stay a total of, we went to the same detox center. We were able to stay for a total of 15 days, and they did get us into out inpatient. So then we went to inpatient. They let you go together to the same place? Yes, we went to the same place. It's called yes. the Counseling Center in Portsmouth, Ohio. Um, and the, you mean I went to the women's and he went to the men's. Um, but we were there for like three months. And then after we come out from that, that's when I was telling you, like, we were doing really good. Um, and then we did, um, we were living up where the rehab was. So we didn't know nobody. You know what I mean? So we were good. Yeah. But we had found a, a job, and the job places right back where we're from, and old people started coming around, and that's whenever we had relapsed, and that first relapse, um, it lasted like a week, about a week, and then that's whenever um, I found out I was pregnant and still used, and then that's when I overdosed. So when did you switch to heroin then from the pills? When did the pills stop working? see i was dabbling in with the heroin and the pills so you mean like all together heroin's been like 16 years for me um but i really didn't hit it hardcore and put the pills down and just do the heroin until i was 23 um but it how old, switched. Are, you, how old are you now if you don't mind me asking i am 33 okay okay so like 2011 yeah okay. that i was I was like dabbling, you know. Um, so you were still and, taking the trips just to get the pills, just to sell the pills, just to make the money to buy the heroin. Yeah, and then I was to the point that I was mixing the pills with the heroin, like just doing a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But full blown, and really until I actually just came off the pills and just went straight to the heroin, I was like twenty three. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because I, I was curious because, you know, usually, you know, once you shoot it for the first time, like heroin, according to others, because like it, you just don't want to do pills again. Like what? Like that's what I've been told, you know, because like I, I, it's so funny. I was not afraid of needles. I never wanted to, because I have plenty of tattoos. I never wanted to do it myself. And, yeah. you know, and then I also... My other question is, when did you know, like, you were, like, full-blown, like, I'm addicted to this, but I don't care. I fucking need it, so whatever. I don't care. Did that ever happen to you where you were like, fuck it, like, I'm addicted, but I need this anyway, so I'm going to keep doing it? Yeah, I was, like, I would probably say 24. So you were already doing heroin at that point when you, like, had a realization, like, yeah, I'm a definitely an addict. 
Yes. I just, um, like my family would tell me like, you know, you, you need to stop. You know what I mean? Like you weren't uh, raised like this, you know, like you got a son and then like, I, that would sit there and play through my head, but then just the, the love for getting the high, you know what I mean? Everything else was just so much. And, and it, I hate to say it, but like, it was just more powerful than me, more powerful than my child, more powerful than love I have for anybody. And then at that point, you know, I, like, uh, I caught my, uh, really bad case when I had went to prison, had sent me to prison. And then I turned around and caught the same charge that I went to prison for three more times. What was it? I had went for possession of fentanyl. And then I had went for, uh, seven forgeries and two thefts and each of them charges kept putting me back in prison back in prison um and the reason why i say that it's bad is because like i was trying to avoid going to prison and that's why i say like when when i caught them for three original charges i turned around not even two months later and caught three more of the exact same charge that i was out on bond for so they ended up sending me to prison for two different counties on the same charges. They sent me back to prison. I went to prison, and then I had got out for a year, and they sent me back again. So really, when I was 23, that's whenever I knew that it was just bad. I didn't care what no one said. I just didn't give a crap anymore about anybody, like, uh, what they told me, how they thought, how they felt. Like, I just wanted that next time, and I wasn't stopping until I got it. So that 23, love is, I just yeah. broke loose. <laughs> yeah, that that love is real though. Like I I always say that you know they, you know how the joke the, not joke but the saying you have three loves of your life, like that was my first love, like seriously like that like and I knew I was an addict a month in a month in like I had a conversation with myself, and I was like I know I need this I know I want this and I don't care what anyone says this is gonna happen because this makes me feel better than anyone's ever made me feel. You know, and so like I totally get that feeling because like I and I think that's also why I honestly I stuck with pills is because I loved it so much, and I was also so I thought I was in control. You know, it was one of those lies that we tell ourselves like, well, at least I'm in control of this one, and I know I'm gonna lose control if I shoot dope. So at least I can fool everybody if I just stick to pills. So that was like my addict mindset of justification of this is okay this is fine you know um now did you get into meetings do you go to meetings do you you know when you got sober um yeah we did attend like na meetings um some aa meetings and then we go like to church i mean because like we really like to put church in there um but since covid has hit um not as much just because like Honestly, with my baby and then being pregnant again, like I'm really scared to get out. Like oh, I caught yeah. like, like I caught a stomach virus. I mean, the stomach virus I was telling you about now. Like I don't even know where I could have caught it from. And now, like when I sit and think about, it, like it trips me out. Like if it's that easy to catch a stomach virus, like how easy is it, you know, just to catch the COVID? So really, like, but we do do like online meetings through Zoom and stuff cool. like that. Yep. And then like I still talk to um my sponsor, and then I do therapy over the phone as well as counseling. That's okay. Yeah. Because that, that was like what I was going to say next is like, that's the biggest thing that people always forget about is the therapy part of it, the counseling part, because like, you know, yeah, our problem was getting in trouble and the problem was the drugs and all that. But like, really they were like solutions to problems. You know what I mean? Like on the outside, they look like they were the problem, but really we were trying to solve our problems with them. 
you know, they were our, the solution. So then when you get sober, you have <clears throat> you if you don't go to therapy and you don't go to counseling, you don't like start doing that, you know, work about what's inside of us and what made us want to use that usually causes relapses because you did you go this hard when you got sober from the other treatment centers like when you got out did you start go right into counseling before like that or this is the first time you're doing an honest effort um i was just half i was just half butt and everything to be honest with you i would just do enough to keep the probation officers off of me you know like when i would go to group i would just dread it i would tell them whatever they wanted to hear so i can get in and get out because i have more important things to do Yep. Honestly, that's pretty much how my whole recovery has went, except for these um, last two years, I've honestly gave it everything. You know what I mean? Like, if I have a problem, I'm talking about it. You I mean, if I feel some kind of type of way, you're going to know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying, like, I have struggled so much before, and it's like every time I relapse, it gets worse so much faster. I get worse off so much faster. I lose everything faster, so... Like, I do not want to go back down that again. Like, there's no way. So, yeah, those withdrawals don't, yeah, they don't go anywhere. Like, I I had been clean off opiates for three plus years when I just had my gallbladder removed. And they, they, even though I told them not to, they shot me with fentanyl while I was under. And I woke up high and I knew I was high. And my body went into immediate withdrawal, acute withdrawal right away. I started, I was vomiting for 18 straight hours. And, you know, it was withdrawal. It wasn't reaction from the surgery. It was withdrawal. So even though I was clean three plus years, putting opiates in my body within a half an hour, vomiting for 18 straight hours. Wow. So I, I know, and I never even did fentanyl, you know, and I still, it was just the opiates that it caused it. And now like that makes me even more scared to ever go back out again, because I know that the press, 30s with fentanyl now you know so i could go out and i could die on a relapse just like my yesterday was uh, my friends what he would have been 35 and him and i got sober at the same time he went to florida i went to cali and then we would talk all the time and we both came back to jersey area and with in a month he went to rehab and we're well, not rehab he went on a relapse and died on his relapse you know it's just that easy and because we don't have the tolerance that we used to have so you know and obviously the fentanyl is getting more and more powerful and they're getting more and more um yeah just put a little more in there who cares put a little more like so it's so dangerous out there um now you said you've been arrested how many times altogether i've been arrested like 10 times 10 now what was like I'm trying to think what was like the most like uh I don't want to say the craziest one but like were they all were they all theft or all possessions Um I've had breaking and entering um possession um receiving stolen property theft forgery and then you know just like your um possession of drug abuse instruments mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, really, nothing, like, really too, too crazy. Mm-hmm. That's good. But um, the situations that led up to it is a different story. But uh, just, like, some of the situations that led up, like, to us, like, getting arrested. You know what I mean? Like, I should have gotten in trouble for so much more. So much uh, more. 
So like, I'm thanking God, you know, every day that mine has just been, you know, just like felony uh, fours and felony fives. Yeah. Um, Are you like done with the court system? Are you done Um, with the court? Are you on probation right now or? Um, September 7th, I will get off of felony probation. I have not been off probation since 2010 now. I have not been off. I think I'll make it uh, maybe a month or two, and then I'm right back on again. That's amazing that, you so, know. So excited. <laughs> um, now, how's the relationship with a 12-year-old since, like, you're being clean two years? Do you get to see him? Yes, I get to see him, um, honestly, as much as, really, as much as I want to. And, I mean, like, he, he is autistic. So, after school, he goes with his aide. Um, you know, his aide takes him and does just different stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the evenings, um, I go get to see him or, you know, the weekends I get to see him, you know, as much as I want to on the weekends. So like, it's you know, like, it's a good relationship. Good. I mean, he has questions, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, like, why does his brother get to go home and he don't? And you know what I mean? So that makes sense. I mean, does he live with your grandma still or does he live in assisted living? Um, no, he was, um, he was with my grandmother. Um, oh, okay. We lost him. Uh, we lost custody to my grandmother whenever we was doing the Florida running. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Believe it or not, she worked at Children's Services. <laughs> so that was easy for her. <laughs> yeah, she had her hand in everything. So um, I said she had her hand in a little bit of everything. Yeah. So it was really easy for her um, to actually come in and take him, which. You know, I mean, I blamed I blamed her for years. I couldn't stand her for years. But, you know, God's honest truth is I, I sat there and would tell myself, you know, if I wouldn't have lost him, I would have straightened up. But I don't think that's the truth because the, the pain pills in the Florida, just the rush and the drum of everything going on, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, that car that car ride home every single time must have been the happiest car ride every single time. If I could, uh, you know, I know my car rides home from Jersey. You know, we're always good car rides back to Pennsylvania. Every time I would go get my stuff and I would finally, you know, I had I had my ritual of what I did, of how I would use them and how I would sniff them while I would drive. You know, that was safe, but also very effective because, like, I broke so many CD cases in my day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to do them while yeah. driving that I started putting them inside of a full straw and just like bent in half and just like chewing the straw and just like. You know, and so I would just like drop four in there and just have, you know, slam back 120 milligrams and then have a nice two hour car ride with the music blasting. My dog in the back seat with me because she took the rides and just chain smoking on my way back and just cruising. So I always knew they were they were good car rides for me. You know, I can imagine 20 hour car ride. You're just cruising along, smiling. Um, I will tell you on the way down there was the longest trip of my life. The, on the way back, like, my God, like I wake up and be like, well, where are we at? You know what I mean? Like from just being so intoxicated from mm-hmm. them. Hey, we're only halfway home and it feels like we only left two hours ago. So <laughs> no, the car rides home were so much faster and so much better than what they were on the way down. On the way There's- down. Did you guys have like, like I had a bag that I specifically, not one bag, but like I always had a bag ready for bile. Because I was constantly, like, throwing up bile on my ways to Jersey. On my drives to Jersey, 
I always had to like, I'll be stuck in traffic in Philly or something like that, waiting to go over the bridge to see my dude. And like, I would have to like get sick or at least try to vomit into this bag while I'm stuck in traffic so that I could like push through to get there, to get to the destination. Did you have that too, where you had like, you know, preparedness? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I, and I, I, like some of it, you know what I mean? Like I hated methadone at the time. Like I hated it, but you know what I mean? Like the thirties were so scarce that, I mean, I would take methadone, morphine, just whatever I could to tie me off until I got there. And then, you mean, like I told you, like all the, you know, like different people we took. And then I had somebody down in Florida that I was getting them off the street for, for $8. So as long as I had something to tie me off until I got to Florida, then when I got to Florida and every day, but I, you mean like the day I got there and every day on, I knew I was good. So sometimes, you know, I mean, I would just like have to take just different stuff some days. It'd be nothing, you know what I mean, on the way down there. And it was a yeah. dreadful ride. Yeah, because you want to always, I, I would always, like, try to, like, save even a half of a 30. You know, even if it was just, like, a 30 cut in half, if I could just, like, do that before I would go in the car, that would at least withstand the next two hours before I would get there. But that was, like, what I would want to do. That was never really the case. Most <laughs> yeah. of the times it was... I'm driving keeled over holding my stomach because it just hurts so bad. And you are literally the only person I know that so far. And I've talked to a lot of people that has driven and you you just like, you're like, Oh, I see your two hours. That's cute. We did 22, you know, because I knew those drives and I, and except for I did it with my dog, (laughs) I did it with my puppy. So at least like you had somebody that like, you know, switch off with you guys take turns or did like he drive yeah yeah there be um i don't know sometimes there be three of us the four to five you know what i mean because sometimes we had people that like three of us had doctor days all on the same day so sometimes there would be more of us i mean i can remember taking a van putting a blow-up mattress in the back and sleeping on the way down there that that makes <laughs> more sense yeah that makes sense to me I think the longest, actually, I th- I can't think of a long drive I did. I didn't do it personally. I was living in Massachusetts at the time because I was escaping. Like, I moved all the time in my addiction. And I took a bus from where I was living outside of Rhode Island up to Boston at 4 in the morning. And then I took a bus from there to New York City. Then I had about a walk about a mile to get on another bus to take me down to Philly. Then my buddy picked me up, took me to my doctor, got the script, filled it. And then went to his house to go start getting high. Unfortunately, we don't we didn't know we were being followed by a dude that I owed money to. That he was expecting oh. me to be in town, expecting me to be at the doctor's because he knows where I was going to the doctor's because I used to doctor shop with him because he was like a high. He was one of those like higher up dudes that like never did them but sold a lot. You know, like kind of those kind of guys that like spent his time at the gym all day long kind of guy. And he <laughs> showed up there with two guys bigger than him, and we're like fuck so like i'm hiding in the closet like Anne frank <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm not here and you know he finally gets them out of there but they're like well we're gonna be waiting right here on the corner for him because we know he's in there and so i just took my shit and this was before like ubers and i went out one of the side windows and like my fat ass like squeezing out of there like and i called a cab and they meet me at the place across the street the laundromat they took me over to philly 
I immediately got back onto the next bus to New York, the next bus to Boston, and then the next bus to, you know, where I was living at the time in New Bedford. And it was a total 24-hour trip, you know, between going there, going to the doctors, and then, and I just remember it was pouring rain in New York City when I, at night when I was transferring buses because there was a mile walk between the transfer. And I was so hot. I got one mil. I was getting 120 bars and 120 thirties each month. Um, that's why you're 1800. You know, you're like, oh, you're cute with 120. I get, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was getting 120 of each. So by the time I got in the pouring rain and walking, I didn't give a shit. I had like three bars in me, like nine thirties in me. I was there was right. no touch. You know Thank what I mean? You. Like I didn't give a shit about the rain. Like I was so untouchable at that point. But then I ended up getting arrested almost arrested i you know i you know got in trouble xanax xanax makes me steal yeah I don't, me too i don't know like percocets and oxys i never like i would get like cool ideas like oh like i'm gonna do this like kind of con you know or i'm gonna con this company out of money you know what i mean and find ways to manipulate numbers like when i was on oxy and you know like do financial shit like you know to get in, get money but then when i was on xanax i just had no inhibitions i would just like steal not even know i was stealing because i'd be blacked out go to the pawn shop get arrested you know every time i got arrested for stealing it was always xanax always yeah i have the i have the same problem yeah but, okay and then, <laughs> and then more and then more but yeah like i just say like my husband could not stand me on him like it was just horrible but yeah i actually th- got him thrown in jail for me stealing can i hear about that what happened and, uh so we had just came back from florida and of course he had felony warrants out and we were going to the store um like just as soon as you walk out the hotel door there's like a dollar general so he told me Tori. he said do not be going over here and stealing he said we have like $5,000 in our pocket. He said, don't do it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm not. I'm cool. You know, I go over there and I just start stealing dumb stuff like um, tweezers and fingernail polish and can just dumb stuff. Just like I get klepto on them. And next thing I know, we're getting ready to walk out and here comes a cop walking in. Well, we have all these pills on us from Florida. Like four bottles, like 30s, like clear to the top of the lid four bottles between you know the 30s and the 15s and stuff and of course they're out-of-state bottles and we're known very well you know with the cops so i had no idea what the hell we were going to do he had a warrant i knew it but you know xanax don't care so they walk in and they walk us outside and they said you know like what's going on you know we got a complaint you know that you're in here stealing so my husband's like, look, I'll go in and pay for all the stuff that she took. And he's like, well, you know, you got a warrant. He's like, yeah, I do. So he goes back in there and pays for everything and then just takes the four pill bottles and shoves them down inside of the bag while he's in there and walks out and hands me the bag. So we never got searched or nothing like that. Thank God. But That's he went good. to jail and he was so mad because after he got out, which was like maybe five days later i had done got robbed all the pills all the money everything was gone so not only did i put him in jail but i lost absolutely everything and he was sick when he came out so yeah, i was gonna say because like, 
sometimes like if he was going to prison, it would be easier for him to stay high. But if you're going to jail, it's a lot harder because like it doesn't the drugs aren't flowing around like the the holding cell. You know what I mean? But when you go to prison, then, yeah, you can find drugs pretty easily. But the holding cell or like, you know, jail or whatever you want to call it for a couple of days to dry out. You're not really seeing getting connections to like stay high the entire time. Right. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah because you were saying before he was running and gunning when he was like arrested. So I, you know, I assume you meant like because he was in prison. So it was easy for him to, you know, stay high in prison. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely more that more so than jail. Yeah. And really here in Ohio, kind of, too, depends on what jail you're in. Because, like, a lot of them now got the scanners, but a lot of them still don't. Mm-hmm. And one of our local jails, actually, um, I think this last past year, they've had, like, five overdose deaths in the jail. Because of not having a scanner. Yeah, like, people just not being, you know, come to their cell and they're just not being responsive. And then later find out that it was a, an overdose. Yeah, and let's be real, and the guards aren't, like, they don't care to check on the addicts who are, like, in there. They kind of, like, they want to see us go. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. Like, I've always felt that way. Like, we're definitely, like, oh, just let let him go through it. He brought that on himself. You know, that's his fault. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And then I will tell you, like, um, like, going back to my husband and the county jail I was telling you about, he, um... Like, this is how much they don't care. I mean, it kind of is his fault, though, in a way. But so, like, the last time we went to jail, um, he was trying to figure out a way to get out, you know, to bond me out. Because um, the situation, you know, that got us into that, I told him, you know, I don't want to do it. I'm afraid we're going to go to the jail. I'm tired of going to jail. You know, I don't want to be sick. Because at that point, we were like, oh, my God, we were hardcore, hardcore in it. We were into doing our... um we were doing heroin and meth like really bad together, speedballing. And we were up to using like four grams a day between us both of heroin. So like there was no way I was going to jail. So this is the last charge, you know, that we had caught and it was the breaking and entering. I told him so, I, like, I don't want to. So what, yeah. Tell me about the break. What happened? Um, Like, can you tell me about the breaking and entering? Like what happened? Like where you were breaking and all that. So it was an abandoned house. And we were just broke and was going to go into the band house to see, like, take the copper, just, you know, just the hard up stuff. Mm-hmm. And somebody, his cousin was was with us as well. And I was like, you know, like, I don't want to do it. I'm just going to sit in the car. You guys go. You know, I got a bad feeling. Well, of course, they didn't listen to me. Um, they messed up. And we get out and we go up there and somebody had passed, seen, seen us there, called the cops. Uh, me and my husband was actually in the house, and his cousin was outside, and there was cops, and he didn't scream or let us know that there was cops. He just took off running and left us. So the cops come in with their drum, you know, their guns drawn, and we went to jail. And like, you know, like I said, like I told him, like I didn't want to do it from the get go. I had a bad feeling about it. Like we'll figure out something else. And no, we got in there and got in trouble. So he was in there trying to figure out a way to get out. So. Um, and there's more drugs in the men's pods than the females. Um, so he was in there using and actually paid somebody, um, to slam his finger in the door, the jail cell. He thought it'd be a good idea. They break it. He get out. 
Well, they slammed it a little too hard and cut it completely off. Yes. Cut his finger completely off, like back to the knuckle. Um, Which one? And all, I'm like looking at my hands. Which one? It would be his right pinky. Okay. He, at least he was smart about which hand he was having the guy slam. <laughs> yeah, at least he, he wasn't was, like, yeah, slam my finger, please. He said <laughs> it was know? just supposed to have been the, uh, it was just supposed to have broke it. Yeah. Well, it come, he said the next thing he knew, like he felt it burn and he looked down and just blood going everywhere. They came in, you know, someone um, hit the, bo- the box and they came in and <laughs> the COs had to pick his finger up off the floor. And they took him out to the hospital. Um, they gave him, you know, a shot of fentanyl and they sent him back. And here he thought he was going to get out. No, they just put him down in the suicide um, cell. Gave him ibuprofen and <laughs> he had to stay there. Did, did he they say your finger? No, they threw it away. There was nothing they could do. They threw okay, it away. Well, at least it's a pinky again. At least it's his, you know, his pinky. But still. <laughs> I, I was like, what made you think that you was even going to get out for that? He said, because it's worked before and I'm he, for other people. And I'm like, well. And what's crazy is the very, like, two days after that happened, we had went to court and I got out. And I had bonded him out. I bonded him out less than 12 hours later. Yeah. So if you just well, have patience. Yeah. Yeah, yep. pretty much. I mean, it goes to show you that, like, patience really is a virtue, you know, <laughs> but we don't know how to be patient when we're in addiction because that's why you shoot your heroin, because you want it right now. You know, like, we yeah. did everything because we wanted it right now. You know, we didn't want to wait for shit, you know, so that m- would make sense that he would feel that way of just be like, no, just I got to get out of here. Cut it off. Like, hurt me, you know. Yeah, it's it's insane. Insane. It, it, it really is. I mean, the good thing is, though, is that you can look back on it and know that, you know, just because it happened doesn't mean it's it's a bad thing. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, you don't discount yourself because it just lessens that you learn to be able to help others. You know, because that's the only thing we yeah. can do with our past, you know, traumas and past things that we did is the only way to live with it is to talk about it and help others with it. Because if you hold it in and you try to try to squish it down and say it didn't happen, you're going to get high again. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you another thing. Like a lot of people, um, you know, like when you go to treatment and stuff, you hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, I can't believe my addiction took me here. And my addiction made me do this. And I always tell people, listen, you know, anything that you thought about doing or done, I've probably done it or, or thought about it. Like. I go back and like, we'll talk about it. Like the stuff that our addiction has made us do is just like insane. Like so insane. Like he has stole semi trucks and wrecked them. Like, is that what, is that what the stolen goods was? Yeah. There was 78 skids of Marlboro cigarettes in the back of a semi. And he had the bright idea that we're going to go steal this semi and sell the cigarettes. Well, he decided to, whatever made him decide he could drive one, I don't know. Just because he's rode in them don't mean he could drive one. But he did, and he took it on the back road and wrecked it in a creek and got picked up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he forgot he hits a double clutch, and this isn't just driving like a regular stick shift. 
And I mean, I haven't seen somebody steal cigarettes out of the back of a truck like that since like Goodfellas <laughs> in the sixties. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I said, it's 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 been insane. Like it, like when now when I think back about it, like I can laugh about it, but it's all you can do, really. Honestly, <laughs> if you don't laugh at it, then you it's a waste. You have to be able like to laugh at that. Like when you go, people don't realize that. And AA meetings, there's a lot of laughter. And all that laughter is at, like, our past. Like, people sit in a meeting and they tell a story and, and then he starts laughing or she starts laughing at herself. It's okay to laugh at our past. Because if you don't, then it's just going to make you miserable to think about it. Yeah, and, you know, and really when I think about it, like, I'm glad I've been through what I've been through. You know what I mean? Because like I said, when people think, you know what I mean? Like, I cannot believe I'm thinking this or I cannot believe I've done that. Like, honestly, there, I can honestly say and say there's almost nothing that I have not done, you know, in addiction. Like, when people tell me stuff, I'm like, okay, well, that's not that bad. You know, listen to mine. And they're like, oh, my God. And I'm like, you know what I mean? So, like, you ain't got to worry about being judged. Yeah. But it just gives me, the way I look at it, it just gives me experience. And that way I can help somebody else with it. Like, I take all of it, like you were saying, and I turn it to a positive. You know what I mean? Because, like I, like I said, I don't feel like there, I feel like I was, like, one of the worst addicts, you know, that there was. That's just, you know, how I feel about myself. So when somebody, you know, needs someone to talk to or something, like, it's so much easier for me just to be like, hey, look, listen, you know what I mean? Like, I've done so much worse. You know, you're like, you're definitely going to get past this point. So I just thank God for the experience that I do have from it. Even yeah, though it was it's, it's not our whole entire lives. You know what I mean? Like, we can live a full life now and then look back and be like, oh, yeah, that was a portion of my life. And that portion of my life gave me life lessons to last me for the rest of my life to help me navigate and help others for the rest of my life. You know, you could be in your 50s and then be 20 years clean. And then being able to help somebody being that and you're like that far away, but still you're like, yeah, you know, I spent 15 years doing this, this, that, this, this and that. And then for the last 20 years, I've been doing this and it's possible to get out of that, you know. So there's a lot of strength and hope in like our fuck ups, you know, in our past. And that's and but you have to be positive about it, because when you're negative about it, you're taking it out on yourself. And it never ends well. I mean, we both know that. Like, I'm sure you said the one time you had eight months clean. I've had up to two point two years clean. Not this time, but it was back in 2014. I had almost two. I'd had almost around about two years. And my grandpa had passed. And, you know, I did a lot of dirt to him and didn't get to apologize. And then me and my husband was like, on this separation and he got ran over by a drunk driver um he was on a bike and a drunk driver hit him and left him um so i was coming home one day after work and walked past the bar and i was in columbus ohio um in the ghetto if you would call it i've been to columbus i I know exactly that I, i can almost envision the area that you're talking about because i was coming back from ironically enough ann arbor um, because my brother's a diehard Michigan fan and we were seeing a game and we were starving and the place that we happened to pull off the highway 
was the ghetto of Columbus because they almost didn't want to serve us. They We were going through a drive through and they're like, you know where you're at, right? You, you know what you're wearing here? Because he was wearing his Michigan jersey at the drive through and they almost didn't want to give us food because they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they were that like upset that we were in Ohio State country wearing Michigan blue. Um, but not what we were in the ghetto though, so I can envision what you're describing. So okay, he was. Yeah, in, was he, again. No, I was. I was repeating. He was in the ghetto. Um. Okay. So no, my husband was in Chill Coffee when this happened. I was living in Columbus. I had just got out of like um, transitional living, and I was up in Columbus. And see, my grandpa had died, um, and then my husband got hit like a week later. And me and my husband was not on good terms at that time. Because I was clean and he was not. Um, you know, so I said an hour before he got hit, you know, I told him, you know, like, I hate you. And I want to talk to you again. Like, I'm tired of you hurting me. You know what I mean? Like, leave me alone. And then an hour later, he gets ran over. And they didn't know if he was going to make it. Um, he had actually died three times um, between Chillicothe Hospital and then get life flighted to Columbus. He had died on him three times. Um, so, you know, there was that regret there. Um, not knowing if I was going to get to tell him, you know, that I'm sorry or whatever. I mean, obviously I still loved him, but it's just the hurt pushed me away. Um, so I was walking by the bar, you know, right after I found out about my husband. And then my grandpa, like I said, the week prior, I went in and took a drink, um, then took a couple more. And then before I know it, I'm out walking in the streets of Columbus looking for heroin. Um, and I did find it. And then right say. there sent me into a total spiral downhill again. That's all it took was one, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and it was the drinks that was like the drinks that started it. And you're because I, in my full bone opinion, alcohol is the gateway drug. Um, you know, I I firmly don't believe that cannabis is a gateway drug. Um, I honestly use cannabis in my recovery, and I have been since day one. I went to a rehab in California called High Sobriety that actually teaches you how to change your relationship with cannabis and teaches you how to use it as a way to get off of opiates. Um, so that's the rehab. Like, I don't even smoke. Like, I don't smoke. I just, you know, I take my capsule with my blood pressure. And now I actually only take a capsule at night to help me with my insomnia. Um, and it actually gets me through the entire day. So, like, I don't like to get high right away. I don't even get high. You know what I mean? But I don't want it instant because that was before JD. You know, now right. I like it to settle in and actually use it as a medicine. So I, you know, change my relationship. But alcohol, inhibition's gone. You know what I mean? That's when yeah, you, exactly. you know, you can talk yourself into some dumb shit, you know, because they, even just driving, you know, if I'm driving on cannabis, I am the safest Mr. Magoo driver in the world. I am letting people go at four-way stops that when it's my turn. You know what I mean? Like, I'm extra right. cautious. But alcohol, there's – you are the only person on the road. Get out of my way. You know? So, like, alcohol is definitely the gateway, in my opinion. So that makes total sense. So you'd have a few drinks and be like, this isn't enough. I know what will be enough. Yeah. See, when I walk past, I'm like, well, I'm just going to take one. You know, just one drink will calm my nerves. And then – after I felt that feeling of that one, and then it ended up turning into three. And then after that three, I wanted more. Like that warmth. Yeah. That warmth, right? Yeah. Once you, and once then, you get that warmth, you got to chase it. And then that's what sent me into a uh, downhill spiral. Um, my husband 
you know, was in a hospital in ICU for a while. Then he got, you know, sent to another part of the hospital, um, you know, where he was trying to recover. And the pain meds they were giving him wasn't enough. So, because he had a know, high tolerance. So, me being me, you know, with him, you know, because I do anything for him, I go out, start copping pills, um, taking him heroin back into the hospital. Not even, not even worrying if they're going to do a blood test and find out and know that it's me coming every day. You know what I mean? Because he came yeah. in there without it in his system. He's been in there for some time without it in his system. And here I'm taking it back to him. So I'm out there copping all that. And then I go to um, an opportunity presented itself to where I could get $3,000 to go cash some fake checks. So I make it through the first two banks. I make it to the third bank, third bank. I hear um, handcuffs. <laughs> as soon as I turn around, I heard him jingling. As soon as I walk through the door, I turn around and there is four cops. Um, I was just cashing the third one. The bank just held me there, you know, pretty much just distract me. So, so needless to say, I walked away with no money. My ride left me and I went to jail and I went to prison on that charge too. How long did you have to do for that one? That one was 15 months. 15 months yes and, but you were able to like stay high while you were in there or were you no. clean you were you were no. clean while in there in prison yeah yes i think like really the only thing in prison um was like a fixer <laughs> so okay. really and women like i mean i guess there was but like when i went to prison like i was just trying to like stay straight you know what i mean like i really wanted it to get together so while i'm in there and i got authority over me i'm cool but as soon as I got out and I ain't got that, that's when I go crazy Off the again. rails again. Yep. Yeah, so that I ain't got sense. 40, I go crazy. That makes sense. But at least now, like, you have, like, you know, it sounds like you have, like, a nice regimen. Like, y- you have what you do and your husband, and you guys work together. And to stay, you know, now you're working hard to stay sober. Yes, most definitely. Um, I have accomplished to get my, um, I do have my peer recovery support certification and I've had my CDCA, all my courses done since like February of this year, but because of felony probation, um, you, we can't work on it or apply for it. So I get off on September 7th, so I'll be able to do that. And then I start college um, in January, I'm going back to um, get my uh, master's in social working. So, like, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to helping others. I'm going to mark this down now. I'm going to release this on the 7th to celebrate you being off. Thank so you. I'm going to, re- yeah, hold it and then release it on that day. This way you can have, like, your story out here like this, you know, on a day that you can, you're off your charges and you're good to go and you're free. So I just marked it down to releases on the 7th for you. Um, you. Yeah. Um, I think, it, you know, I like, I'm doing, my, like, my birthday is the 29th. So, like, I'm doing my story on the 29th. So, you know, I think it's good to, like, find dates like that to, like, celebrate people, you know, on certain days whenever I can, you know, especially during this month. So that's that's amazing, especially the peer counseling. People don't realize or if you don't know what peer counseling is, it's, you know, talking to somebody who's been in it. And, you know, in our meeting center, we have a bunch of people that come to our meetings that are peer counselors. And, you know, it's not therapy and it's not a therapist, but it's definitely like 
somebody strong to talk to. It's like talking to a therapist, but not getting the book answers and getting the real answers of what experienced answers. Yes. And I wish when I was getting clean, I would have knew more about peer supporters, but I didn't know that existed. Yeah. No. Cause I wish I would have had someone like that because I'm always afraid, like, you know, cause all the people I talk to, like the therapists and stuff, like they know my PO, like if I tell them something, I'm afraid, Hey, they're going to go back and tell my PO. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And I didn't want to be judged from people that don't do drugs, never has done drugs. You mean like I want to talk to someone that's real, like that, you know what I'm thinking, you know how I'm feeling. Like that is just, and I want the, I want the raw answer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to beat around the bush. Like, give it to me raw. What is it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny. When I was in, when I was in rehab, I got so into therapy that like I had two therapists and then I was like, I want a third. And this time there was a therapist that worked there that was also in recovery. And, and he was from Jersey, like I was. So I was like, he he didn't have enough room for me, but I figured I'm just going to have conversations with him and just ask him the same shit that I ask my therapist and then get like the attic perspective of it. But like, I didn't know peer counseling was a thing. I wish I knew like, Hey, Hey, anyone's listening still in addiction. Peer counseling is amazing. <laughs> it is. You can talk to people like us. Like I'm not a peer counselor. Um, I'm thinking about working towards it. You know, everything I'm doing here. Um, I'm basically a peer counselor. I mean, people come and talk to me all day long for meetings and I give them my perspective and my experiences on, you know, when I give advice, you know, and if I don't know something, I say, oh, I can't speak to that. I've never done that or I've never seen that. Um, But anytime that somebody comes to me with a problem, my answers always start with, well, there's one time I did or there's one time I know someone who did. You know, because it's important that people don't have to feel alone because we do do fucked up shit. We were not angels. And the more that we know that other people weren't angels like us, you can feel more comfortable about opening up and you can feel more comfortable about accepting your past. Yes. And I I tell everybody, you know, I don't have to know you. You ain't got to be in the same state. I don't care. Like, if anybody needs to talk, you know I mean, like, I'm always here to talk to people. You know what I mean? I always try to put that out everywhere I go. Yeah, that's amazing because it's so important that even if it's, like, something as little as Facebook Messenger, like, somebody messaged my, you know, we run a nonprofit mental health center, mental health meeting center, and somebody from, like, Texas messaged it. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I need to talk. And it was, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, like, on a Saturday. And, like, I'm an insomniac. Like, I legitimate, like, I have insomnia. And I'm like, okay, like, that's fine. Do you want to text? And they're like, can I call? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. She called, and we talked for, like, an hour. And I helped her, like, from not doing coke again for the rest of the night. And, you know, and I made her laugh. And I took her mind off things. And I related to her. And, you know, she hung up feeling a lot better about the conversation and feeling a lot better about what she was doing. You know, she was just alone and had no one to talk to. And that's important Like, you know, if I'm available, I'm going to talk. I enjoy talking, but also like I did all my shit and I'm not going to let it sit in vain. I'm going to use it to help others feel better about things, you know, and because it's important that we are transparent about our past because, you know, others are in it right now and dying at record paces And they are feeling too uncomfortable to say, I need help, or no one's going to understand me. Most definitely. I I definitely agree. So, I know. And that's awesome. And if somebody wants to, 
you know, I'm going to post this again. Today's the seventh. If you're watching this, this is when I'm posting it. And, you know, I'm just so happy that you're at where you're at right now. Because, I mean, all those, you know, five years of doing those trips. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes, five years. I did my trips for three years. You know, and not not even, maybe even two years. So, five years. God bless you. I'm glad to see you still sitting there. And, I mean, your, your before and after is just amazing, by the way. You know, what caught my attention originally in the opiate group, the before and after, the transformation. Like, you're doing amazing. Like, you Thank don't even, you. you don't barely even look like the same person. I think it's important for people to see that, like, we can recover and we can feel better again. We can look better again. You know, we can have children again, you know, and you can have a life again. So just because we fucked up in our teens and our 20s or whatever, it doesn't mean we can't have the rest of our lives ahead of us to do good and help others with our experiences. So thank you again for taking the time to sit and talk for a little bit. I know it's not the best time with you feeling good, but like I said, and now I know even more, we've definitely been sicker and done worse things. Most definitely. So thank I'm glad. You for, to, yeah. Thank you for letting me talk. Oh, of course. I'm glad to see that like you're sick, but doing good now when you're sick. So that's good. Right. So feel better. Get hydrated. Do it. Get some rest. Do what you got to do. Take care of your husband. Take care of your dad. And I'll talk to you soon. I'll let you know when this is up. All right. Thank you. All right, thank you, Tori. Have a good day. All right. You too. Right. Bye.